This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 5, discussing Rayview Starlight. Today's subject theme is A Shared Fate and will contain spoilers from Episodes 1 through 4. We will talk about a visual symbol we've already brought up in past videos and other ways it has been used, a different symbol that is particularly associated with Karan and Hikari, and then how the use of this second set of symbols helps demonstrate how their situation has changed over these first four episodes. Now, we've spoken before about the significance of position zero and its prominence at center stage. Claiming position zero and being the one who is centered then is symbolically linked to the idea of being the top star. If you look through Rayview Starlight so far, there will be several examples of this centering. The elevator that transports them to the underground auditions is always centered on screen, and the girls' spotlight entrance displays always put them at the very center. Moments emphasizing Karen will put her central as well, like in the shower when she is exuberant over Hikari's talents, or succeeding after the fights with Juna. Even in the opening credits, despite there being eight girls during the curtain rising, they are shifted so that Karen is in the center of the screen. The centering is also used to show her and Hikari together or apart, depending. Elsewhere in the credits, the two of them stand together centered in front of the rest, close enough to one another to seem like a single unit. But this has also been used to suggest division instead, such as the part of the scene where Hikari shuts the door between them, followed by the background reducing until it is only the two of them and the line of the doorway. They are centered, but separated. The blank whiteness of that scene will give way to Tokyo Tower, a symbol that is particularly associated with the two of them. So, let's talk about Tokyo Tower, then we'll talk about how it's used with Hikari and Karen. Two aspects of the tower's imagery suit it well as a symbol. One is that its overall shape mimics the spread of a spotlight shining on a stage, a widening cone of light to make one person stand out compared to everything else. This shape actually shows up a lot. Spotlights, of course, and the design on the starlight posters and the scripts employ it as well. The pedestal that the top star Tiara sits on shares this in common, and even our giraffe friend has the same tall, tapering silhouette going on. All of these together are mimicking that spotlight spread. The other obvious bit of Tokyo Tower imagery is the way its legs are designed, with a broad arch connecting the ending of each of its four feet. This arch mimics the proscenium arch of a theater, a traditional way of representing the divide between the stage and the audience. The arched legs of the tower, combined with the stage itself, create a window for the audience, a narrowing of focus onto just the events taking place on stage. Thus, visually, Tokyo Tower is both stage and spotlight. Then there is what Tokyo Tower is in the first place. 
It was created and still serves as the structural support for broadcasting equipment, television and radio. In other words, it itself is a stage for the performances that are transmitted through the airwaves. The tower has come to be a recognizable landmark of the city itself, much like the Eiffel Tower that inspired it. In this way, the Tokyo Tower could be thought of as representing the world stage, a stage that reaches far further than a physical audience gathered in front of it, much further than just Seisho Academy. Thus, the enormity of the audition hall, thus showing in a tell the observation deck that lets one look out on the world. Karan even wondered about the view in her daydream about standing on the tower. Now, that daydream connects the symbol of Tokyo Tower to the idea of a shared fate between Hikari and Karan. The whole thing is kicked off by the sound of Hikari's luggage as she is arriving, which then turns into a series of gears, the gears of fate. Karan's vision will also overlap the very first email from the giraffe going to Juna. Their fates are reconnected and tied to both Tokyo Tower and the underground Ray View. So let's talk about that fate and how Hikari has fought it. Let's remember our giraffe friend's words at the end of the second episode, when he refers to Hikari and Karan as two people sharing a single fate. We knew almost from the beginning that Karan was driven by a promise they shared as children that they would stand together on the stage as stars. However, she and Hikari seem to have different ideas about this. The fourth episode will reveal that Hikari thought she was the only one who remembered that promise. Indeed, she is distressed when she shows up and Karin makes reference to it, and is still wearing the same hair clip and all that. So sharing a fate does not seem to mean having the same opinion of that fate. In fact, Hikari seems to go to great lengths to keep their paths apart. When she first shows up, she tries to keep Karin at arm's length. Then she tries to antagonize her and drive her off when she gets involved in the review. She tries to go to the giraffe and have him kick her out. But then Karin gives her the speech just before her rematch with Juna about how she finds herself driven to compete because they can't stand on stage together as stars if people like Claudine and Maya get there first. Thus is Hikari upset and apologetic later on that episode. She realizes that she is the driving force behind Karin's involvement. This is probably also what the giraffe meant about why Karin wasn't originally included in the auditions. It's only Hikari's presence that drives her to want to compete. So, since Hikari can't reason with her and can't get her removed, she attempts to restrain her. When Karin goes and then loses anyway, it's one thing, but she is bewildered by the experience. She wasn't even able to sing and dance with all of her strength. She's drawn herself into this without understanding the stakes or the challenge. So Hikari leaves. She got Karin into this, and as she is now, she has no hope of anything but failing and whatever consequences accompany that. If they do indeed share a fate, then the only way to get Karin out of it is for she herself to disappear. If they can't be stars together because she's not there, then perhaps Karin won't try. She never had any interest in being a star that stands alone. Now, I don't believe all this effort from Hikari is because she is using some underhanded means to beat her out. Rather, she doesn't want Karin to suffer whatever befalls those who do not pass the audition. She cryptically refers to losing the most important thing to a stage girl. What that might be, we'll have to see, but it is sinister enough to drive Hikari to do all these things to her friend to keep her away from it. Part of me wonders if she knew this was always a possibility and went to the Royal Institute in order to prepare herself. She returned just in time to take Karen's place in the underground review and save her from it. After all, Starlight has eight named parts 
but Hikari's addition to their class gives us nine characters in competition. Taking Karin's place among the eight seems like a believable motivation, especially since she returned on the very day that the auditions began. With the fourth episode, though, the situation has changed, and Tokyo Tower as symbol helps illustrate this shift. When Hikari first showed up in the series, it prompted a daydream of Karin standing on Tokyo Tower's heights. That is, on the stage, in the spotlight. Yet what Hikari does in that dream is shove her from it. She arrives just in time to force Karin's exit. That is her goal. But as we mentioned, none of her attempts to keep Karin off stage have worked. So Hikari's move is to separate from her. Now, if I'm right about why Hikari went to the Royal Institute, then the entire fourth episode might be a metaphoric parallel to their whole story. Hikari leaves suddenly, just as she did in their youth. She and Karin go through different experiences in the time apart. In fact, their ongoing phone conversation seems to be about them finally catching up on all the years they were apart. Hikari goes from aquarium to aquarium as Karin tries to chase after her. The jellyfish tour will eventually lead them both to the aquarium under Tokyo Tower, just as their course in life has led them both to be at Seisho Academy. That is, they are in the same place again and can potentially take the stage together. And yet, they can't. The Tokyo Tower Aquarium is closed for equipment inspection, and the underground ray view appears to allow only a single top star. The decisions of authorities and institutions bigger than they are keeps them from their intention. Just showing up together is not enough to get on that stage. This symbolic link is reinforced by their conversation immediately after. Karen talks about not being able to see the jellyfish, but she hopes that they can come back again together. This prompts Hikari to immediately talk about the audition and its consequences. We are meant to associate these two failures together. Unable to see the aquarium together, unable to take the stage together. Hikari will go on to point out that only one person can pass, and starts to say that one day the two of them will face off. Yet Karin rejects this idea, insisting that the giraffe's words don't mean that there can be only one. Hikari decides to accept this idea of Karin's, and takes her hand to stand on the slide. She is not fighting the idea of their shared fate anymore. To demonstrate this, the two of them are standing together in front of Tokyo Tower. At night, like this, it is all lit up against the dark sky, and its resemblance to a spotlight is unmistakable. So, they are not each standing in their own spotlight, or one of them in while the other is out. Rather, they are both together standing in the same spotlight, on the same stage. And, of course, the shot has them perfectly centered. The difference between the two ending credits definitely suggests that we move from Hikari acting alone, as she was in the third episode end credits, to she and Karin acting together, as in the fourth episode end credits. Now, it's not as simple as just joining forces. Karin wants them all to stand on the stage together, and that puts her, and now Hikari, at odds with the rules and traditions. But if the fourth episode really does contain a type of microcosm of the story so far, then it might also contain a bit of foreshadowing. You see, in the same moment Hikari and Karin are deciding to break the rules of the auditions, they are simultaneously breaking the rules of Seisho Academy. That is, they are off campus after curfew with no pass. But the part worth noting is how the other seven girls react to their rule-breaking. Rather than throw them under the bus, they try to cover for them. In a small way, they support the two of them in their disobedience of authority. On the day when Hikari and Karin's shared fate will cause them to try to break the rules of the audition, should we expect to see similar support from the others? 
I imagine it's a long way to there, and the foreshadowing of the Starlight play suggests rather separation and a sad story. But perhaps Hikari and Karin's fate will not be the only ones joined. Perhaps as we go along, more and more of the girls will join them in the end credits, and in the tower, and on the stage, and under the starlight. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash Nearly on Red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.